Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. So many white guys. So guys, here, here, so guys, um, so you know what? That's so gendered. So, so citizens of the world. Okay, that's where that's where we're at in 2016. We don't need to make everything about dudes. Citizens of the world. I never listened to musicals growing up. So like people are like Les Mis. I'm like Les Who. <laughs> uh, people are like Wicked. I was like, uh, nope. And then Hamilton came on the scene, and I got into musicals. Alexander Hamilton. So I've been listening to a lot of Hamilton. Hamilton. I just started getting into Rent. I'm going back, baby. I'm going biz-ack. Listening to Rent. I've been listening to In the Heights. Anything that has like a lot of people of color in it, and there's some struggles happening, that's what I'm into. So I went to a musical recently. Larry King was there. And we were in the same row. So I gotta say, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good if I'm chilling next to suspenders over here. Okay. It was me, me and L King as something rotten. It's a musical. It's a fantastic a musical. musical. With a bunch and of delightful guys. As as and I was like, is this what all musicals are like? Because if so, I'm there. So if you guys have any suggestions for other musicals, Bright lights, stage fights, and some attractive people in it, I will forego paying my student loans to go watch a hot dude on stage. That's where I'm at in my life. That's what my 30s are like. Think my 40s, it might get dark if some shit doesn't turn around. So, uh, if you guys know any guys who are straight, you want to pass my way. I'm I'm down. I just want a guy who is who's employed. I want a guy who's employed. A guy who pays his rent on time. Okay, well read by well read. I mean, you you read both of Mindy Kaling's books. I'm into that. I watch a lot of Master Chef, and I talk about mise en place all the fucking time now. So if you don't know what that is, get the fuck out of my bed. Okay. That was great. I gotta tell you though, I'm feeling super stressed. Alana left, like. A very strange voicemail and I just don't even know what to do about it. Can I just play it for you? Okay, if you just if you guys don't know, Alana Glazer, she's a friend of mine. She's also a producer on this show because she's big time television and she's fancy. She leaves the craziest voicemails. Hey Phoebe, what's up? It's Alana. Um Okay, so I was thinking uh, of an idea for so many white guys. Sorry, so many white guys. Sometimes I do the, the one O, but I, you know, I know it's three. Okay, so I was thinking like 
some sort of infiltration bit where you are a white guy. You know, I don't know if it's like white face or if it's like a KKK hood or something, but it's something where you're like in white dude costume or whatever, and then you show up to the ultimate white dude event. I don't know, you know, some monster truck rally or um, like a boat convention at the Javits Center or... Honestly, a Trump rally is, is, KKK hood at the Trump rally is good. So it's like, you're like, Trump, Trump, Trump. People are like, oh my God, who is this guy? He's like hardcore all about Trump. And they like bring you up on stage, you rip your hood off, you got a fro, you got a so many white guys t-shirt on. And I think we could pivot that audience. I don't know. Let me know what you think. Bye. End of messages. Oh my God, Joanna, Joanna, I love Alana, but this is white face. We, I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Like we could try and get you a KKK hood and just like. That's cool. <laughs> well, <clears throat> but I don't even can know I, where to get one. What do you mean? I feel like just Google it at your work computer. Just Google where to buy KKK hood, have it shipped here, because I don't want to come into my house. Although the boat thing, I would be down for that. I think a boat show sounds fun. Right? But what if, though, what if I, like, this is gross, but what if I, like, boned Donald Trump so good that he stopped being racist? I think I would take one for the team. I know I'm your producer, and I'm supposed to make, like, help produce great radio, and I'm sure that would, like bring listeners in but as your friend i just barfed (laughs) (laughs) okay so my guest today is the one the only hari kanabalu if you don't know who he is and even if you do you gotta hear this interview okay Hari's a stand-up comedian, and his new album, Mainstream American Comic, is blowing up the charts. I mean, it was number one on iTunes for, like, a really long time. Plus, he has an amazing podcast called Politically Reactive with W. Kamal Bell. So check that out, too, after you listen to this interview. Ofs. Anyway, the stuff that Hari says about race and politics are game-changers. Like, seriously changing the game. It's the winter. I hate the winter because I don't really do well with cold. The only season I hate more than the winter, of course, uh, is the summer. Uh, for personal reasons. Because uh, I have a lot of white friends and I'm sick of them talking about tanning. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta get an even tan. I gotta avoid tan lines. I'm not offended by this. I just have nothing to add to that conversation. <laughs> I don't have your freak mutant ability to change colors. <laughs> You're like the shittiest X-Men ever. Okay, y'all, here's another fun fact about Hari. Hari used to be a male stripper. Actually, I'm going to Google him right now and see if that's still true. You can't get distracted. We, just, we have to keep going. I want more Hari fun facts. We can look them up all the live long day after this. Okay. I know how much you love to Google. <laughs> Google day and night. Google left to right. We are back. 
And I'm about to get my interview on at this TGI Fridays. I decided I want to make the guests feel like it's their birthday. Or after work on a Friday because we live in the burbs. You guys, I'm not at TGI Fridays because let's be honest, ill. But I am excited to bring you my interview with Hari Kondabolu because it was so fire. It was the fire the caveman's fucking made, okay? So dive in, but also like don't because it's a fire, you'll like catch on fire. So just sit near it. I've gone all over the country and people mention two dope queens. That's crazy because Jess and I, I mean, we felt like people were going to respond to it positively, but I don't know what people are, what's going to resonate with other people. Right. So we're kind of like, this is crazy. Like, we feel like the Beatles. Well, you're like friends, and it's very clear yeah. you're good friends. And honestly, you don't really need to put comics on, but you're doing a service to the community. <laughs> it's nice to have that sisterhood of the shared tampons. That sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> I feel like that is something that they don't even put on the boxes because it's obvious. As you know, I'm all obsessed about talking about hair. Mm-hmm. And you have fantastic hair. Do people want to touch your hair? What 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 goes on with your hair? People have tried to touch my hair. Okay. If it's in a romantic way, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Right. But if it's just like, oh, that's so cool. I'm like, I don't want your greasy hands in my I hair. Know. I don't know you, fan, supposedly. <laughs> like, But in like a romantic way, it's like, whoa, I didn't have long hair really until... um. Like 2009, I didn't know my hair curled. I always cut it short like my dad. Really? Yeah, and then I decided um, to grow my hair out, and it's changed my life dramatically. How so? Is it because you became like more, you felt like more yourself? Were you more like outspoken? Like what? I don't know. It was like all of a sudden, I had more women approach me after shows to flirt. And I'm like, that never happened before, ever. Really? Not like, oh, you know, it, was, it happened every now and then. It never happened. Ever, ever. It was always like, I really love your stuff. You're really great. Bye. <laughs> and it was like, now it was like, it was really weird. And then you know, that kind of creates confidence. And so I, I feel like I loved myself more after I grew my hair out. And now it just feels like this is me. Oh, my God. Nice. That's such a heartwarming tale. It's really I nice. don't have that journey after shows. I think that's very uniquely a male comedian experience. Does it never happen? It'll happen where it's always like the guy you don't want into you. Um, who's it's usually like a guy who's like divorced and like yeah. his boat was named after his wife and he's like uh, still like he can't let that go. He still has the boat. Uh, there's a lot of issues. Yeah. That's yeah. always the guy. There's nothing wrong with divorce, but when there's like the boat attached to the wife, it's that's when it's like, whoa, bro. Yeah. So yeah. that's usually what I get. I never that get or like, other comics, I'd imagine. Yeah, but I think at this point, I think pretty early on comics got that I was like not DTF with them. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those things where it's, it's just not, I have dated comics before and I'm just like, now I'm like hardcore, like I will never even like hook up with the comedians, only friendship. Yeah. And it's, 
it's it's like the smartest thing to do as a female it's stand-up. Work, it's the work, it's your workplace, and I it's know. like hey, was it kind of sleazy earlier when I was talking about women approaching me after shows? My hair got longer. No, I was thinking not, about you're that. You're so sweet. It's not sleazy. It's like I I don't want it to be like you know I'm just this thing right now. You know you're a hair. puss magnet. Oh God, I would never <laughs> say that. I just I say the things people are scared to say. I would never say it. I wasn't scared <laughs> to say it. I would never say it. I don't think it's true. I I'm I'm teasing. No, it, it that that's your that's your truth. Like yeah. women approach you, you're allowed to say you're it's not new like being gross to about it. Rest of my life, it's yeah. you know, and I'm just I'm still kind of you know how like you know because I, I was a fat kid you know, and so I think there's still that part of me that's mm-hmm. insecure that. I've slowly worked out of and now like you know I look at myself I'm like I'm a handsome guy with good hair I was in a sexy Asian men calendar never thought that would happen wait you were yeah. why didn't you tell me about this I posted it thoroughly all over the internet I would have bought it it was um yeah it was it, it was it's really cool it's just me wearing a suit drinking a glass of wine with a cigarette in my left hand I don't smoke so I felt kind of guilty about that but it's like hot in like a madman kind of way yeah, you know what I mean yeah, it's yeah. like that's cool. I yeah. like that you did that. Like I'm, a mall for posing with cigarettes, but not actually smoking them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was like far enough away where I could, I could pretend. Well, I I took it from somebody else who was smoking because they shouldn't be smoking yeah. anymore. And it, it just happens to be in my hand right now. So you said that you used to be a, a fat kid. Mm-hmm. And so when did your body change and like... How did your self-perception change from what yeah. you call like a fat kid to who you are now? I mean, it definitely lasted through college. It lasted through a chunk of post-college when I was living in Seattle. I remember I had – this is always it's a weird story. I had my wisdom teeth removed right at, towards the end when I still had health insurance before I was about to go to London for grad school. And they kind of botched it. And so when you have wisdom teeth removed, you know, you, you drink soup and you can't really eat much. Yeah. And so they botched it, so I had to keep the thing on extra long. And in the process, I lost a ton of weight, the thinnest I'd ever been as an adult. Wow. And I kept that weight off for a really long time. And I think there was some confidence in how I looked, and I was like, this is crazy. It's like I was given a shot to, like, I lost this weight, eat healthy, try to keep it going, and... You know, it, 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 I had an increased confidence and I felt healthier. Like I just had, like, it's, it's not like losing weight means you're healthy. Yeah. But it also, like, I took that to mean I should exercise more and this is great. And, um, and then uh, two breakups later, you know, the weight came back, you know, I'm a, I'm a victim of breakup weight. And, um, and now I'm like in the worst shape I've ever been. And I, I care mostly because I'm worried about my health. Mm-hmm. But my confidence is exactly the way it was before, if not more. I might be at peak confidence. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's like the the fat kid that was always in me is not there anymore. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I've always felt like that person. Now I'm like, what the, you know, part of it is I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I don't think a person who looked the way I looked, and I've seen pictures of myself now, and I'm like, this is not an unattractive person. I don't think I was allowed to be seen as attractive because how many images in the media had brown people? There were no Indian American people really in this country that were considered attractive, and the only one that really existed was Apu, who was a cartoon character. Yeah. So we were goofy. We were. It was. We weren't seen as attractive, generally speaking. And then I feel like with the increased images of brown people, and maybe with people growing up in more diverse areas it all of a sudden like i can be seen as attractive which is a fairly new phenomenon i think for 
for me because it's not even like I don't even have like uh, like Aryan features, right? I right. definitely look like you know it's not like I have like a pointed nose and like if you you take the pigment out, like I'm a white guy, right? Well, I'm so glad that you're on so many white guys because we both talk about race quite a bit. Yep. And there's a tendency for people to get mad at us for talking about race mm-hmm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just trying to still figure out how people can still be mad about that when it's like, do you like not look outside? Like when you step outside, you do not see the clusterfuck yeah. that is America right now. And it's really weird because see, our issues with race mm-hmm. are like people are getting killed, people are getting deported and detained, people are being discriminated against and not getting opportunities. And it seems like for a lot of white people, their issues with race are minorities keep talking about people getting killed, and people <laughs> getting detained and deported and discriminated against. So, you know, I uh, I don't – I feel like we have to keep, hold our ground because the stuff I, I'm doing, it's, it's certainly – um, stronger than it used to be, but the topics are still fairly similar. And I feel like, in addition to being more confident on stage, I also think that this country is coming around to thinking about these things more seriously. You talk about police brutality 10 years ago, for example. I'm sure a comic who talks about that, um, you know, might, might get some, uh, pushback from a mostly white audience and now it's current events they're videos you know you can't avoid it and there's more of a a shared perspective at least because of that um so i don't think we stop i think we're when we by us talking about this stuff i really do feel we're still doing stuff on the cutting edge and even if there are white people in white comics saying oh you're just another comic talking about race race is not a singular thing I think that's the weird thing. We see all the different shades of it, right? Yeah. We see when you we, when I talk about immigration, that's one thing. When I talk about my family, that's another thing. When I talk about uh, sexuality and race, that's another thing. When I talk about uh, discrimination, that's another thing. When I talk about deportation, that's another thing. When I talk about hate violence, that's another thing. When I talk about police brutality, that's another thing. When I think some white people see that, they see um, it's all brown, and I feel guilt. They, it's all the same shade. And to us, there's nuance in that. Yeah. And sometimes I realize I get really aggressive about race because all my friends are the same way, regardless whether they're white or not. They're the same way. So when I talk, go right into a conversation about police brutality, you know, they're on board. But when I do it on stage, you know, the people, are, people get tensed up. And I kind of see it like if you started dating somebody and the first time you have sex, they take out a whip. Whip, chains, like they're yeah. going straight up S&M. And you're like, we just started dating. Can we just cuddle first? Yeah. <laughs> so when you talk about race and the first thing you talk about is like, let's get into it, like uh, slavery, Holocaust, colonialism. Yeah, that's taking out the S&M gear. Yeah. <laughs> let's start with this is who I am and these are my experiences. And then we can get into the worst shit. Yeah. And that, that's, is that a good analogy? I felt like that was really good. I was, yeah. it was, it was a journey. I was like, where is this going? This is very exciting. It's funny. I was thinking yeah. the same. <laughs> Please get out of it, Harry. Figure out how you're going to get out of this. God damn. So I'm very excited because you just dropped your your latest comedy album, Mainstream American Comic. Yeah which has been out for a week and has been number one mm-hmm. on the iTunes comedy charts this and whole Amazon, time. And Amazon. And Bandcamp. Congratulations. It's That's weird. crazy. It's weird. 
Did you expect this no. at all? No. I thought Mainstream American Comic was a somewhat ironic title. I didn't think this thing would chart the way it has. I'm happy about it. Like the first album I put out, Waiting for 2042, I, f- I felt a lot of insecurity about, is this the record I want? And I wish it could be better. It's the first one. When I finished this one, I'm like, it's good. Yeah. I knew it was good. I, I, like if people don't like it, they're nuts. This yeah. is, it's a good record. And, you know, it, it kind of connects to the stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel our issues are mainstream issues. That's why I'm saying we shouldn't back off. Like, our issues are part of the American experience because we're Americans. We live here. We experience it. It's part of the fabric of this country. And so the stuff I'm talking about, I want it to be framed as mainstream. I want people to, to Google mainstream America, mainstream America, and see my face. Mm-hmm. I want that to be acceptable. I'm on the cover of this thing with uh, of, of the album uh, with a USA jacket on, unzipping, exposing chest hair. Yeah, I loved it. I saw you workshopping the album when mm. I... Featured for you, what, la- was this last year? Like, was, that, was that in Philadelphia? Yeah, it was in That's Philly. Right. It was so fun. Yeah. And I thought your material was like so smart. And I really loved your bit about uh, white people. Which one? Uh, uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you have one, white people are demons. I don't think white people are used to being named like the rest of us, I think. Because I'm sure there's somebody in here It's like, oh, he's saying white people Is he talking about me? He's saying white people So he must be talking about me If you think I'm talking about you Then yeah, I'm definitely talking about you Absolutely Absolutely Because the cool white people in this room And the people of color know what I'm talking about I'm talking about white people I'm not talking about white people Yeah, you get it Some of you know what I'm saying Some of you think I'm dog whistling right now what does he mean? Is this some kind of code? Are we safe? What's going on here? It's kind of a code. It's kind of a code. It's like an end term for people who say white people. It's, it's another way of saying white privilege or white supremacy or the unfairness because of race. It's, it's a term we use and we know what it means. But I realize it's confusing because, you know, the phrases are the same. Right. So uh, from now on, from, from now on, cool white people, people of color, don't use the phrase white people, Okay. From now on, use the phrase white demons. You have one about white people in rickshaws, yeah. which is now yeah. my new favorite because I'd never been in a rickshaw before. <laughs> yeah. And then I went to Austin to do a comedy festival <laughs> with Jessica. And this guy, we, we were leaving our show and this guy was like, hey, do you like want to take a ride? And I was like, oh, I've never been to a rickshaw. I'm like, hashtag human rights. This feels like inappropriate. Yeah. But it was like a white dude. So I was like, oh, let me get in this. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of lit. Like, I really loved You're it. You're awesome. Where do you want to go? San Antonio? Yeah. <laughs> Keep going, sir. I know. See how it feels. You have many years to make up for, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you do talk on, on the album about how um, uh, people will, like we were on NPR, I think people, mm. so, some people wrote in. Some oh yeah yeah the the, uh, the uh, hate mail yes yeah. which is I, I imagine you get quite a fair amount just because you talk about race and politics Especially which the I feel last month yeah yeah oh the last month I did um I wrote something about all lives matter being ridiculous mm-hmm. and just like and the next thing I know I'm getting all these messages on Facebook sent to me so if I see your head I'm gonna like pound it until it's as soft as a pillow here's a picture of a gun you should eat a bullet also Facebook apparently doesn't see this, these as inappropriate because they don't have slurs in them they're just death threats oh my god and it's like I don't get all lives matter and if you don't agree with me I will kill you like yeah. how does that make any <laughs> sense whatsoever oh my gosh so like it's never gotten to the point where you have you felt 
unsafe ever or yeah i've had to throw people out of clubs and i've gotten messages after saying watch your back you still have two more nights left you don't know who's in the audience like i've gotten that i've i've had extra security has had to come to shows and this is in seattle i'm not even talking about like this is in the city i love the most yeah other than like new york it's in a place that's seen as liberal um, so I want to talk about your mom because, <laughs> first of all, you guys should go on the road together yep. because I love your dynamic and the way you talk about her in your stand-up and you guys were on Death, Sex, and Money recently. Tell me what growing up in the household with your mom in Queens taught you about comedy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's very quick um, and uh, can put me in... To be. You're still quick. I mean, we're not, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about verbally. You're still... See, that's, that's from her. That's the kind of... Uma, do you have the same sense of humor as your son, or is it different? I, um, I have more realistic one. <laughs> have your parents always been on board with you doing stand-up? Because I know before mm. this, you were working in politics, and you were doing activism stuff, yeah, and then you yeah. made the, the transition. Right. I mean, they weren't crazy about that either. Oh, really? Why not? I mean, like, human rights work isn't really lucrative either. I mean, comedy and human rights work in terms of, like, a pay scale, like, yeah. neck and neck, you know? Um, I think they they were supportive of me doing what I want to do in terms of like a hobby and a passion as a career. I think they only got into the idea once I was on television for the first time. I was 24 and I was on Jimmy Kimmel live. And this is when I was doing comedy as a hobby. And all of a sudden everything uh, clicked into place when I wasn't trying. And I think after that, they're like, Oh my God, like this is a thing. I felt the same way. I couldn't believe it was a thing. I was up in Seattle as an immigrant rights organizer doing this as a hobby. And all of a sudden I'm on TV and have a manager and none of it made any sense. So I think after they saw that, they're like, okay, he's good. Cause before it was like, nobody wants to see an Indian person on stage. Nobody wants to, to hear you. Like, why do you want to struggle like that and not be given opportunities? And, Around then, I started to realize things are changing as a result of like years of like racism and unfairness. Anything we say is new. Anything mm. we say is fresh. I remember um, when I was doing a piece for Totally Biased, uh, the first piece I did for W. Kamau Bell's old show on FX. I was a writer and I was a correspondent on it. The first piece I did was about Indian American representation in media over the, you know, last 20, 30 years. And there was a section about Apu and how it's voiced by a white man. And I'm talking to Kamau about it. I'm like, this is corny, man. Nobody wants to hear about Apu. Everybody probably talks about Apu all the time and how corny it is. And he's like, no, they don't. Yeah. Your friends and family have talked about this. <laughs> Brown people have talked about this. America has never thought about this. And all of a sudden that thing went viral. And I'm like, the the things that uh, are unique to me that I don't generally share with, let's say, a mainstream audience because I just assume they're not going to get it, is the stuff that's the most interesting and cutting and dynamic because we weren't allowed to talk for so long. As far as I'm concerned, I do observational comedy. You know, like when I see uh, a policeman, I think about all the things that policemen could potentially do to me and to people I know and love. Yeah, same when, here. When yeah. somebody, maybe a white comic sees a policeman, he might be like, man, what about these ridiculous hats they have to wear? Come on, what, <laughs> what's the deal with hats? I mean, you're a cop. Do you need that? Like, I don't know. But at the same time, like when you talk about your experiences and you talk about race, like, do you think I'm talking about race or are you thinking I'm talking about my life? 
my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me it's the same thing, except I, I guess I think all these things are my life. Like I've had like Indian family members, or old, not maybe family, but like older Indian uncles, you know, like um, – Parents, friends say stuff like, why do you talk about this black stuff all the time? Like, why is that important? Why do you talk just about Indian stuff? And I'm like, I don't see it as black stuff. I don't see police brutality as black. I see it as human stuff. There's a book by Vijay Prashad. He wrote a book called The Karma of Brown Folk, uh, where he kind of responds to Du Bois's uh, 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 theory. Because um, Du Bois uh, posits black people are posed as the problem of America. And um, Vijay Prashad uh, states that an Asian people, whether South Asian or Asian, Indian, Chinese, it doesn't matter. Like we're seen as the solution to the black problem. Yeah, We're the, the model minority. We're the way it's supposed to be. And I know we're used that way. And so we need to fight with our black brothers and sisters. We have to. It's our moral responsibility to. It's not just not to say white people don't either, but I know it's my moral responsibility to to stand up for my friends and the people I love, and that's not just brown people. Are you gonna make me cry? Don't know where it's coming from, Phoebe. No, thank you. Honestly, it feels like I'm being possessed. I don't know what's going on. It's very weird. I I just black out and I just keep going. I don't know what's going on. Well, Hari, I could talk to you for about seventeen hours straight. Oh, you're the best, Phoebe. Thank you for coming in. It's a pleasure to be. I'm so proud of you as a friend. I don't mean that in a condescending Aww. way because I'm a, a man and I feel like man. <laughs> I'm so proud to keep keep doing it. Um, I just I you know we've all in this city as performers and as artists have struggled, and I know I've seen you go through some of that, and now I'm seeing you do what you want to do. You're using your time the way you want to use your time, and I'm so Aww. proud of you, and I, I'm so glad you're doing this. Thank you, because you've been a champion of mine since very early on when I started. We and have I, to. We have to yeah. support each other. That's how this works. I don't want this to end, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Okay. It's great, Phoebe. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Whoo. Fanning out my armpits. I was sweating. I held my own against Hari because he's like really smart. He knows a lot about politics and I've really admired him as a stand-up comedian, but I feel like I kept up with him, Joni. You didn't look like you were sweating. That's because I have Botox in my armpits. Just kidding. (laughs) Dry as a bone. (laughs) So last night, I like stayed up all night and I came up with a 53 point plan for immigration reform. Wow. It's like bipartisan. Congress is going to love it. I don't want to cut you off, but like we have to go. I don't care. I'm literally going to fix America right now. I know. I know. But can you just can you do the credits really quick and we'll talk about it after. But we got to go. Joni, Joanna, where are you going? Meet me downstairs. We got to go. Joni, this is my show. I pay you. Actually, I don't. Can you, Joanna, can you turn the lights back on at least so I'm not talking about my 53 points in the dark? White Guys team includes Daisy Rosario, Rachel Neal, Joanna Salataroff, Alex Overington, 
James Ramsey, Paula Schumann, Jim Poyant, Joe Ward, Casey Means, and Shanoa Estrada. I have my first book ever. It's a collection of essays called You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain. It's being published by Plume and it comes out October 4th. It is currently available for pre-order wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all the other places. I'm really, really excited about this book. Please, please pre-order it. All the pre-order sales count to the first week. And if I get enough sales, I'll end up on the New York Times bestsellers list. And that's my dream. So please help, 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 help make this happen. Okay, love you, mean it. Friday, 1, 24 p.m. Phoebe, you should do guided meditation. You have a really good voice for that. Maybe we do one whole episode like that. It's Alana, by the way. Talk to you later. Bye. End of messages.